0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So we begin uh, our second week again within our series as we began last week. I want to remind you, um, God's Big Picture, the book by Vaughn Roberts. We had 500 copies last weekend, all gone. Praise the Lord. That is so great. I love the hunger of our church. And we have 250 more copies. At least we did before last night. It was a lighter service, so there should be uh, plenty of copies available in the bookstore today. We can't encourage you enough. It's where we're getting our outline for our series as we go along. Also, the Bible reading plan, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds were taken. And we're all together as a church going through the Bible reading plan together, if that's new to you. Uh, you can pick up a copy of the Connections desk. So you can download it online. Uh, it's called the E100. It's a basically the top 100 chapters, I'm um, um, kind of surveying the whole Bible. And we're doing that as a church. It's supposed to be like five days a week that we're doing. And uh, so excited to be doing that together. And we can talk to one another and praying that God will bring unity as we're in God's Word together too. Again, you can find that reading plan by Connections or online or even talk to a, a friend here at the church. I'm sure they'll be able to point you in the right direction so week number two in the bible is one book series this is a series of tremendous and intentional purpose perspective and passion i want to break those three words down not just saying them because it sounds nice or there's a little bit of alliteration there but this is a series of tremendous purpose you say why purpose well too many believers um have too much distance between themselves and the bible Uh, There's reasons for that. It's amazing how many people aren't in God's Word. One of the reasons we learned last week is they're intimidated by the Bible. Another reason is there's confusion relating to the different parts of the Bible and how they fit together, obviously. Another reason is just laziness. We're just flat out spiritually lazy, and we choose to pursue other things as opposed to kind of taking seriously being a student of God's Word. So there's great purpose. We're seeking to address those things. There's also the uh, desire for perspective within this series. Um, We need to know one of the great kind of keys that unlocks the truths and the mysteries of Scripture is to see it as one story, as one message, as one story of redemption. So we're learning in this series, it's not okay just to pick and choose a couple of verses. And to let that be your spiritual meal. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at a couple of verses, but it can't be just that. It must be more as God has given us his whole book, the whole counsel of God. I read today in Acts chapter 20 for a reason. We need to know that. It's not just, okay, listen, to read the New Testament. Uh, Many people do that too. Well, I'm comfortable with the New Testament. I, I like the Gospels, or I like Paul's epistles. or Some people, all they do is read Revelation. It's a great book, but it, it, the whole point of Revelation is the unfolding of everything else that came before it right And so some people well the, the Old Testament, it seems to be you know kind of archaic and all these things that are going on. okay, that's why we're doing this. The more you have perspective, you can see the larger picture and it encourages you and gives you confidence and, and sends light bulbs to go off in your mind and heart as so many before us have seen. So when you have the purpose figured out and the perspective figured out, then passion is a result. Passion for Christ, love for God. We're not trying to just have information. We want to see transformation. Our main text last weekend, Luke 24, Road to Emmaus, Jesus goes along with these two individuals. He opens to them the scriptures. He shows them the one message of the Bible to that point, and their hearts are lit with a flame of fire as they were talking to Christ and as He showed them the truths of the Bible, and the passion was the result. That's what we're going for within this series. Here's what we know a little bit of a recap from last week, but it's also important to regroup as well. Many have pieces of the Bible understood. There's parts of the Bible, but they don't know how it fits together. Um, An illustration that is commonly used, it's like um, a jigsaw puzzle. When you're trying to work on a jigsaw puzzle, but all you have is the pieces in front of you, and you don't have the big picture, it's very difficult. It can be done, but it's extremely difficult to understand how every piece, when you can't see the greater whole, when you get the box of the puzzle and you turn it around and you see the front and you see what it's supposed to look like, you're like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm going for. Now I know what it's supposed. the message is supposed to be as a whole. And the pieces start to come together much more clearly. You have to work at it, you have to take time, but you know what you're going for because you have the big picture. Even our sermon series title slide right now, we'll just leave this up as it is, but notice, I love this, the pieces of their, are coming together because you see the whole picture as one and you start to see the story of salvation, of God's plan through every book and even every chapter of the Bible. That is the goal of what we're seeking to do. And at the front of our jigsaw puzzle, the picture ultimately is the kingdom of God. That's our thread That's our theme that we're gonna take through God's word. It's the kingdom of God. And so we've decided, we're so serious about that, it's on our stage for nine weeks. I I want us to see this and to continue to digest it and be reminded of that as well. And so just to recap again the kingdom of God. We have many questions about that as we go forward. What is the kingdom of God? Here's our definition on the screen for us as we used last week. Want to remind ourselves of this. The kingdom of God is this. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. And with God's blessing. We're going to see that so clearly today in the Garden of Eden. Okay, You have God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden. They are under God's rule and blessing with the word of God and perfect relationships. The way that it was intended to be by the Lord. So the question we ask now, okay, okay. so the kingdom of God, the threat of the Bible, what do we do now? We do this. We see how this whole thing began. You can see right here, our pattern of the kingdom, front and center. This is what we're talking about this this weekend together. We are going to investigate and look into what does it mean that God set up his pattern uh, for the kingdom. Okay, Um, In one sentence, the thesis for the pattern of the kingdom today is this. It's how the world was meant to be. The pattern of the kingdom was the establishment of God's kingdom on earth, okay, and it was how the world was meant to be. And listen, it will be how the world will be for all of eternity, at least in its semblance and resemblance, and the essence of it, again, in perfect relationship in the presence of God. So, The kingdom of God initially established in Genesis 1 and 2. This sets up again the rest of Scripture and the plan of God. We need to know it. The kingdom of God was established in perfect uh, harmony, without defect, uh, uh, supreme joy and relationship with the Lord. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God was established for us, unflawed, without defect, in perfect relationships, totally untainted. And when I think about that, I'm like, oh man, that sounds so good, doesn't it? Oh, oh, perfect, unflawed, perfect, harmonious relationships, and no sin, no guilt, no evil of any kind. That is how God designed this to be. And the longing of every heart here, whether you know it or not, is for this kingdom to reign in your heart ultimately. So, that's what it began like. And what are we going to do? Well, let's go see. Let's go there together and find out the details as to the pattern of the kingdom. And to do that, please open your Bibles. We're going right to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 to start. Genesis chapter 1 to start. See, where's the book of Genesis? You can figure that out. You, even first time the church, you probably know where Genesis is. The very first book in the Bible. The very first, first page in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Again, love us. Remember, remember, as you're turning there, the pattern of the kingdom. This was established in the Garden of Eden. Okay? But what do we learn from this initial pattern of the kingdom in the Garden of Eden? We learn four main truths. Four main truths today. We're going to unpack one by one. Truth number one is this. We learn this about the pattern of the kingdom. It was a kingdom of one creator. A kingdom of one creator. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In some ways, that's all you need to know. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. It has been said, if you believe Genesis 1-1, you will have no trouble believing the rest of the Bible. Think about that. In the beginning, God created the heaven. If you take that by faith, that God spoke and the world came to be again, that's a pretty fantastic, again, work and and achievement by the Lord that he created everything we see. Surely building an ark and getting Noah to be in there. Surely that's so simple for the Lord to do. If you believe Genesis 1-1, you should have no trouble believing the rest of the Bible. What I want us to see here, though, when it comes to the kingdom containing one creator, or one creator establishing the kingdom. I want us to see how many times the Bible appeals to the source of authority of the Lord based on his creative power and his creative work. Now remember, in this series and in these messages, it's a little more teaching-based, There's going to be a lot of theology that we're going through. So I'm praying we're going to be able to sit up straight. We're going to be able to listen. We're going to shake some cobwebs out and take this in and take good notes that we can continue to learn again while that we are here, okay? But I want us to see here how much the Bible as one book goes out of its way to show us the authority of the Lord based on his creative working and making the heavens and the earth. Let's go through several slides. We get to do a little Bible study right here. We'll go through it quickly. But again, I kind of want to overwhelm you with how much God's word is concerned about God as creator and what that means for who he is and for our submission to him as king. Nehemiah 9. You are the Lord, you alone. And notice what follows. You are the Lord, you alone, no one else likely, like you. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens. You are the creator. You are the one who rules. Notice, you preserve all of the hosts of heaven, and the whole of heaven worships you because, again, you are the one ruler over all the universe. Psalm 115, may you be blessed by the Lord. Why? He's the one who made heaven and earth. When you're blessed by him, there's no one else you need to be blessed by. Next slide. Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord. We love that. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Why is that so significant? Because again, when you're helped by the one who made the heavens and the earth, man, you're in good hands. Psalm 96, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. The things of this earth are nothing, meaningless. But the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Man, he knows where it's at. Next slide. (laughs) Proverbs 3. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. His wisdom, he created, again, the foundations of the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. There is none like our God in wisdom and power. Isaiah 45, I form light and create darkness. That's what the Lord says. He's the one who does this. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. He is absolutely sovereign. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 8, yet for us there is one God, the Father, notice, from whom are all things. Look at what the Bible's trying to tell us. One God and Father, from whom everything comes, and for whom we exist. Look at that. See, see the reality of him as creator, it tells us of our existence. He is the one that we belong to. And notice, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. Jesus Christ is creator, And therefore, our lives are built and found in Him. Notice, and through whom we exist. We exist through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The Bible is telling us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is where purpose is found among human beings. Next slide. Try and overwhelm you. Acts 17. In Him we live, move, and have our being. Are you breathing right now? That's the Lord. Is your mind working right now? That's the Lord. Are you able to get to church here this morning and some... That's the Lord. He's, he's allowing us to do this. Revelation chapter 4, going to the end. Of one Bible, one book, one message. Okay, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive our glory and honor. We're going to sing that. We're going to sing that to end uh, this, this service today. Notice, why, why, why? For you created all things... One of the reasons of our worship is we worship the glory and the majesty and the honor of the one who is able to establish the heavens and the earth and create all things. And by your will, your sovereign will, your awesome plan, they existed and were created. See what's happening here in Scripture? One last verse, one last verse. I hope you're overwhelmed, by the way. I want you to be overwhelmed right now, all right? It's like, man, there's a lot of verses. I know, it's awesome. Isaiah 65, okay? Notice, ready? And I, and I chose this to be last. Depending on your eschatology, this is either millennium or eternal state. Either way, it's very good news. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Amen, church? New heavens, new earth. Yes, Lord, please soon. Amen, right? And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Yay! Awesome? Good, 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 good. He creates new heavens and a new earth. And listen, listen again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So listen, all that to say this. This kingdom that we're dwelling on, this whole, this kingdom, it's his. It's all his. Listen, listen. Every kingdom necessitates a king. That's why it's called a kingdom. The Lord Almighty is the king of kings. It's his kingdom. He created it. He owns it. He rules it. He is transcendent over it. God is the king. So... It's a kingdom of one creator established in the first verse of the Bible in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here is a massive point of application for us right now pertaining to the entire story of the Bible. And here it is. You must listen to this. This is so, so important. Never more important in our day right now. It's this. You and I will never be more joy-filled, satisfied, peace-knowing, and blessed than when our lives are under the rule and the authority of the king. Okay? I got to say it again because some of us don't understand yet. You will never know more blessing and peace and joy than when your life is in line and under the rulership and the glory and the will of God. Why is that so important? Because every single one of us in some form, in some way in this place right now is trying to run away from the rule of God. That's called sin. Sin is rebellion against God's authority. Sin is rejection of God's will. Sin says, God says this, but I know better, I'm smarter, he might be king, but I want to be king, so I'm gonna choose my own path, identifying and trying to establish myself as my own mini sovereign. That's what sin does. Again, think about it, when we know what God says and what purity looks like within our lives, in relationship, but we choose our own path in sexual sin, That right there, we are are removing ourselves out from under the rule of God. When we choose to sin in that way, we are leaving the protection, the peace and the joy and the blessing of the king, because it's his kingdom and he's the only king. We place ourselves out under from him and we're by ourselves and we forfeit peace, we forfeit blessing, we forfeit joy in the end because we are on our own, we are outside of God's will. When we seek to worship idols, when we choose our own path, when we love ourselves so much, we are leaving the kingship of God, so to speak, and we just forfeited his blessing, his peace, and his joy. See, what we do as sinners, we say, well, I want to be in control. Well, I want to do my own will. I don't want to follow God. I don't like what he says in his word. I don't like his plan. I think that's too many rules. Every time we do that, we just say that we're really, really dumb. Well, we're not admitting that, but we are. We are because we don't get that the more we surrender and submit to the kingship, the more blessed we are. Because the ways of God work. The ways of Jesus Christ are supremely blessed. There's none like him. That's what he's establishing in the very next week, Lord willing, Genesis three, Adam and Eve sin, and they totally mess up God's kingdom for themselves. And what did they do? When they sin and eat the apple, everything that we just went through, they're like, we know better. We know what God actually is trying to hide from us. We're gonna choose our own way, our own will, and our own worship. And they suffer horrific results because they just deny the pattern of the kingdom, that it's one kingdom with one ultimate king. God Almighty. This is what we're learning right away from the pattern of the kingdom. The Bible as one book tells us with unmistakable clarity, there is one king and one kingdom. And the more, listen, that's why God brings trials and disciplines us. That's why the Lord removes things from us. Because he wants to align us again with his rulership and his glory that we might know peace and blessing and joy. Kingdom of one creator established in the very first verse of the Bible. Secondly, a kingdom of image bearers. It's a kingdom of God image bearers. Look at Genesis 1 verse 26 now. Genesis 1 verse 26 says this Then God said, Let us, notice the speaking of the Trinity there, or inferences to the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Awesome. And let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice, male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, and God blessed them. So this is the sixth day of creation. And God saves his best for last. Right here, um, God making man, male and female. This is the pinnacle of God's creation. It really is. Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. There's so much here. and I'm so excited about it. But let me just go through a few things here. We need to understand that God's kingdom has been filled by God's image bearers. Humans. God's love upon them. God's image within them now that's amazing that we are made in the image of God let me ask you this okay if I came up to you right now and I said what does it mean that you are made in the image of God could you answer that what does it mean theologically how are we different and set apart from every other aspect of creation this is so so important too we need to learn this okay here's some really good theology okay again if I asked you right now I said what does it mean that we are made in the image of God do you have a theological biblical answer for that question well, we're gonna learn that right now, okay? How are we separate from every other aspect of creation in five main ways? We can see this right here, okay? Here's how we are image bearers of God as human beings, unlike any other aspect of creation, anything in the animal kingdom. Human beings literally, again, bear the image of God. So let's break this down. Morally, we are made in the image of God. We have an inner sense of right and wrong. We were created, again, in the Lord to be obedient to him. And inherently, again, within every single person, there's a sense of right and wrong. And again, we mess this up with sin, but the reality is every human being possesses this, unlike any other part of creation, any other animal. We have, again, an incredible uh, in-tune sense of morality built within us as being made in God's image. Um, spiritually, we're made in God's image. We have eternity within us. We have souls, okay? No offense to the dog lovers, okay? okay? They don't have a soul. We do as human beings. We are eternal beings. You will spend eternity in heaven or spend eternity in hell. We are made in the image of God. We are eternal. We communicate with God who is eternal and spiritual. We have this within us. No other aspect of creation is even remotely close. Not one not one ounce of that within them. Intellectually, okay, think about it. We are created as as far superior, incredibly advanced intellectual beings. I mean, just think of this room as one tiny example and you look around that all that mankind, humanity has produced among us right now. I mean, all that's going on, the intellect, the incredible advances, the achievements, the ability to process in the minds that we've been given and how we think and create and solve and work and send people to the moon and have all, I mean, that's on, try getting a chimpanzee to do that, okay? It's not gonna happen. We are so far superior to any other aspect of creation intellectually because we're made in the image of God. Relationally, you say, well, some animals have relational communities. Yes, they do, but nothing like human beings. Human beings, the depth, the complexity, the meaning, the love, the compassion. Again, just it blows away the the astounding aspects of love and community and thoughtfulness that go into any family, let alone a system of human community throughout this world. Again, sin messes us up a lot, but in its purest state, unbelievably awesome, unlike any other aspect of creation, not even close. And then lastly, physically. Physically, I mean, even just the way our hands are made, even the ability to speak, what's happening right now, no other part of creation can come anywhere close to this. The complexity of, of, of vocabulary and processes of thought and the ability to create and build and all the things that we can do, it's astounding, which is bearing the image of God. These five things set us apart as God's image bearers, again, way, way beyond any other aspect of creation. Just, just, just think about that for a second. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty encouraging. Have you thought about this before? You need to think about this. Again, again, this is why you are so special in the right sense of that word. I mean, you have been created in the image of God. You bear all these things in your life. So I was at the hospital this week and got um, I walked into a bit of a crisis in one of the families in our church. And it was, it was very serious in the moment. And um, things are better now, but you're, you're in there. And I, I thought about that situation this week as you walk in. And what I realized is all five of these things were playing out in immense detail in this one crisis in the hospital. As I looked and saw the image bearers of God, again, fulfilling this in all five ways. I thought about morally. I walked in the middle of the crisis. There's such, there's such an inherent sense. This is right, this is wrong. We must do what's right. There was such an action plan. There was such, again, such resolve and then conviction. Spiritually, it was incredible. Spiritually, to see the prayers communicating to God, the sense of our frailty, the sense of eternity, the sense of our brevity here on earth and the fact that we're going to die and then where do we go? And then asking God again, interacting spiritually all over the place I was having. Intellectually, in the hospital room, I'm looking at the devices. I'm looking at the med- advances. I'm looking at the machines and you're like, man, this is unbelievable that technology itself that humans have come up with to sustain life and to see medicine uh, advance. Relationally, what I saw within this family, I mean, the beauty, the complex nature, the amount of love that was being shared and the care and compassion for one another, astounding to see it for what it is. And then physically, of course, affecting all of these things. Again, the words being used and looking around and even being in the sense of that hospital and that man built us and all that kind of stuff. It was just an awesome sense as I'm studying this to step Back and go, that's one tiny but profound example of all these things interacting on a daily basis. That we listen are made in the image of God. It's a kingdom of image bearers. And because of that, loved ones, we have exact and precise purpose. We are called to worship the one of the image that we bear. I want you to look again at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice, created by God, in the image of God, male and female by God. And then look at verse 28. It says, and he blessed them. And he, now, now remember, as we're going through this, Okay. This is the pattern of the kingdom. What you are reading in verses 26, 27, 20. This is how the world was meant to be. This is God's original design in his kingdom. Before it was ruined by sin. Notice, loved ones. Notice the clarity in in this creation of male and female. Notice the order. Notice the beauty. Notice the harmony established in the pattern of the kingdom. Notice the blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 now. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, Is it not good that man should be alone? Um, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper suitable or helper fit for Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now how beautiful, remember this is the pattern of the kingdom. How beautiful is this? Notice in verse 23, notice the excitement of Adam. He has just witnessed all of creation again being created, all the animals of the earth naming them. And then all of a sudden, God creates Eve, or God creates again woman, and he says in total excitement, this at last, or my translation, hubba hubba, right? He's like, man, God, all the animals are good, but then Eve shows up and the woman, he's like, God, now that's what I'm talking about. Wow. Wow. Look at how beautiful she is. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Again, you can feel the excitement and the joy and the beauty. He's like, God, you know what you're doing. Praise the Lord for her. She is gorgeous. She is awesome. She is so meant to be with me. God, thank you. I'm so excited to begin my life with bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This woman you have given to me, what a a gift. Again, the excitement of the Lord. The excitement of the Lord found in the excitement of Adam as Eve again presented to him. Notice in verse 24 too, I want you to see this right from the beginning. Again, right from the beginning. Notice marriage. I mean, this is the initial work of the kingdom. This initial work of creation. And right from the beginning, verse 24, marriage. There it is. Look how clear it is. One man, one woman, one flesh. God's kingdom. Loved ones, see what the Bible is saying that God instituted from the very, very beginning as the pattern of joy and peace and blessing and fulfillment. One man, one woman, one flesh. Please see how obvious this is to see the perfect and astounding beauty in God's created kingdom. Say, what do you mean by that? Notice Adam and Eve. Notice not a hint of male chauvinism, not a speck of it. There's a God ordained leadership which is absolutely beautiful to everyone involved. Notice there's no feminism, there's no sexism. There's no racism. There's absolutely no gender confusion. There's no homosexual unions. There's no strife. There's no competition between sexes. There's no abuse. There's no fighting for my rights. That's because when God designed his kingdom, there's absolute perfect harmony, unity, provision, joy, complementarity between male and female, and there's life. Now don't be mistaken, don't be mistaken. What you're seeing right here, right here, in God's word, Genesis 1 and 2, this is the pattern of the kingdom, the way the world was meant to be. And the way eternity will be as well. Young people, all people, listen up, listen up. We live in very, very confusing times. Do not be deceived. God is the king. And the king has established the pattern of his kingdom with unmistakable clarity before us today right here. To live under his kingdom and his rule is blessing. To leave that is to forfeit the peace and blessing and joy which most of our world is doing currently. I say that in love because that's what it is. It's love. It's telling the truth of where the blessing of the Lord is found. And when we choose our own way and we seek to become God, then we are destined again for purposes that will lack and forfeit God's joy, peace, blessing, and life. Young people, all people, again, we live in very, very confusing times by the hand of the enemy. Do not be deceived. God is king, and God's ways are right, and he's making it so clear right here before us today again, we're to be kingdom of image bearers, bearing the image of God, and his pattern is wisdom, and his pattern equals blessing. And his pattern is clear for us today. A kingdom of image bearers. Thirdly, a kingdom without shame. I love this point so much. A kingdom without shame. Look at Genesis 2 verse 25 here. Notice this, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now inherently, when we read that within us, and the man and his wife were both naked, and we think it's going to say, and they were ashamed. Because that's how we feel all the time. But the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now consider the magnitude of the pattern of the kingdom of God designed by God. Consider the blessing at the initial pattern of the kingdom. No shame. No shame. sit on that. What would a world look like with no shame? It would look pretty awesome, what would it look like? The idea here of nakedness, this this isn't just physical nudity. This is a sense of like, I have nothing to hide. I'm totally exposed. I'm totally vulnerable, but that's because there's no shame in me. So therefore, there's nothing even to be conscious of. There's no guilt. There's no sin. There's no embarrassment. There's no competition. There's no pride. There's no evil. So therefore, there's complete nakedness, so to speak. Again, whether it's emotion, whether it's physical, whether it's, whether it's relational. Again, dwell on the pattern of his kingdom further. There's no shame. Now think of the shame represented in this room right now. Think of the shame every single one of us in some form is immensely trying to cover up on a daily basis. Think of the effort you and I spent this week trying to hide ourselves from shame. The way we look, how we talk, at work, trying to appear in a certain way, trying to hide in certain other ways so people don't see where we're, there's so much shame. the embarrassment, the feelings, and trying to project an image it goes on and on, the exhaustion of trying to again present ourselves as something because the other way, words hiding who we really know we are, or who we're afraid to be. Why? That's shame. It's a world of shame. It's the heart of the sinner, it's it's exhausting. You know, I think one of the greatest mortifications that many of us could ever think of, and I think this is true, is that if you were to come up right now and be placed on a stage and be presented completely naked before the rest of us. I think, I think, I think, I think for some of us, there's so much shame involved in that, we would honestly rather die. Like we'd rather physically die than have to go through something like that because of how much shame we feel. Not to mention our emotional realities and all that we, the processes of our heart and mind. I think just the mortification of how much shame we carry If we had to do that in front of other people, I think many of us would rather choose death to have to go through that kind of humiliation, embarrassment, and shame. Why? Because we have plagued consciences, because we have rampant insecurity, because there's an unceasing attempt to impress others. But think about this original pattern of the kingdom, Genesis 1 and 2. Think about it. Adam was never working on his six-pack. He didn't have to. Like, you... You can't improve upon perfection, right? Listen, Eve never wore makeup. Why? She was just perfectly beautiful. Made in the image of God, untainted by sin. There was just no need for that. You never had to think about trying to dress up for someone. Ever. Because there wasn't the feelings of like, oh, I better do this so someone thinks I'm beautiful. You already are. You're perfectly beautiful. I mean, that's a world without shame. I mean, think about that. Um, Adam didn't have to hold in his emotions from his wife. He's completely, completely again there for the scene because there's nothing to hide. Uh, Eve, Eve didn't talk about herself at nauseum because she wanted to make herself feel more important and try to gain attention in the conversation. That didn't even cross her mind ever once because there was no sense of being inferior. There's no sense of not adding up. There's no sense of trying to kind of cover up for something or make up for something else. not never existed ever because there was no shame. Adam didn't have to hide his failures from his past. Eve didn't have to try to usurp uh, Adam's leadership ever. Never, ever, ever. Because there's no shame. There's nothing to gain an advantage on. It's just, I mean, I'm saying this right now. Do you see how messed up our world is? Do you see how tainted by sin we are? The amount of time we spend trying to do all these things I just mentioned, they never had to do because they were in a world without sin. They were in a world established by the pattern of the kingdom of Almighty God the Creator, of image bearers of God, and a kingdom without shame. A kingdom of no shame. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, listen, listen. I hope you can't imagine because it's coming. This kingdom's coming. It's coming to be restored to a kingdom without shame. Revelation 21 on the screen for you right here. Ready? He will wipe away every tear every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And all God's people said, okay, it's going to be a good day, man. Again, can you just, 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 oh, I love this so much. You just, you think of the torment of this world. You think of the, the sin tainted everything. You think of the battle of your own heart and mind. You think of the sin that seeks to bring you down every day. You think of all the things you're going Think of the anxiety. You think of the stress. You think of the hurt. You think of the evil. Think of the pain. Just think of the tears. Think of the anger. Think of all, whatever, all that stuff. Think of the embarrassment, humiliation. Just think of all the insecurity. And the day is coming soon where God established his kingdom without shame and his plan through his son Jesus Christ that we might be forgiven and saved from our sins And we will live out that in perfect fulfillment when Jesus Christ returns and the kingdom again is established and God will take us full circle to be in a place, in a kingdom of absolutely no shame of any kind. Yes, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. How awesome that will be. A kingdom of one creator, a kingdom of image bearers, a kingdom without shame, and finally this, number four, a kingdom of perfect rest. The pattern of the kingdom is was one of perfect rest. Look at chapter 2 now, verse 2. Okay, I want to end here. I love this, love this. Genesis 2, 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done In creation. You know what we fail to see? We fail to see how verses 2 and 3 have such impact upon all of humanity. We fail to see how what God has established as the power of his kingdom still have such impact on us today and even upon our world. You know what's awesome? It's fascinating to me. The seventh day, unlike the other days in Genesis 1 and 2, or Genesis 1, um, and um, the sixth day finished. Evening and morning, the sixth day. The seventh day has no recorded end. We just read what we read. And God rested. And there's no recorded end to the seventh day. Why is that significant? Because it says to us, God has rested ever since. When you create something that's perfect, you don't need to work anymore. God, Our God is right now in perpetual rest. It doesn't mean he's not upholding the universe. Of course he is right there. But in sense of his creating work, he is at rest. The creating work of God has finished. And listen, listen. The seven-day pattern God rested is the pattern for our lives. Why does our entire world operate on a seven-day period? Because it's God's pattern. I love something these simple, basic apologetics for the existence of God, even, at least in my mind. Our world is on a seven-day pattern because that's what God instituted from the very beginning. It's the pattern of God's kingdom. Observed again, whether... Humanity admits it, observed across the entire planet and even the universe. Because God established seven days. Many commentators point out from the here too is that God is living in continual Sabbath. Beautiful. God is in continual rest, continual Sabbath. Why listen this, And this becomes the goal of all creation the goal of all creation is ultimately to rejoin God in his perfect, eternal rest. Loved ones, that's why we groan. That's why Romans 8 says creation groans for redemption. With the birth pangs, the the sufferings, the groaning, creation, listen, and we also groan, Romans 8 says, we groan for the rest That is our goal in Christ. I mean, think again. I saw human bodies just before me. They're physically breaking down, groaning for redemption. All of us, in one way or another, we are groaning in our sin to be fully restored. In fact, this this concept of rest for me, sometimes it's so real to me. Like you can see it. You, You just know just around the corner. You can taste it. Like I just sometimes I, I, I lean into this concept of you you know it's so right, you can almost feel it. Like you just feel the day when all of a sudden, all the burdens fall, all the sin is gone, all the pain ceases, all the anxiousness, all the grief, all the tri- you, you, you can just feel, it. you can almost taste it. The rest that will come at. That one day, I honestly, when, I, when I, I look at people entering as believers from this life into the next, there's a, there's a big part of me I'm jealous. I'm jealous because the moment they die, they live, and it's over. It's just, they get to rest finally from this, from this crazy world that's so difficult at times and rest from the, just the anguish of sin in their own hearts that plagues them every day. I just, oh, oh I, just, I just love that so much. We're supposed to. Because we're created for more. The goal of creation is rest. Rest from sin. Rest from conscience. Rest from the enemy's attack. Rest from our own sin and heartache. See, the pattern of the kingdom was set up with perfect rest, perpetual rest. Supreme rest, and that, that is our goal. That's where the Bible comes as one story to say, this is where we are going. So, as we know, next week, Lord willing, we're gonna to get to Genesis 3. We're gonna see how this rest was totally messed up by Adam and Eve. Sin absolutely destroyed their rest in God, but then God sent his plan forth to restore them in his rest. Let me ask you a question as we end here today. Who here is restless? I mean, who here today, you, you just, you don't have peace, and you're so restless, anxious in sin, and in burden, and in misery, or in just in, you just, there, there is no peace and rest. Here's what Augustine said about this, this famous quote. He said this, he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I wonder who that is for here today in the midst of a snowstorm weekend. And you are here at church and you are sitting down and God is speaking to you and says, my child, I will give you rest, but you must turn from sin. You must embrace my forgiveness by faith. That's why I died for you, Jesus says. Jesus says, And I rose from the dead to defeat death. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says this. Think of the whole Bible coming together right now. Genesis 1 and 2 coming together here in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, he invites, come to me all, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Rest what? Not rest on the couch for a nap. This is the rest of salvation from sin. This is the rest of your conscience that you will know you are forgiven and you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual rest Jesus is talking about. Jesus invites you today. Come to me all who are weary, labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Listen, and you will find rest for your souls. See, rest for your souls. Jesus invites you today to rest in him, rest from sin, rest from pain, rest from sorrow, the rest that only is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the the beauty of the pattern of the kingdom established for us and that God has sent his son to work this out, that we might be in fellowship in that yoke with him forever. And may it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And let's officially pray now. Let's, let's just bow our heads. So, Lord, I pray. I pray you are working in hearts today. I pray you are um, supernaturally causing light bulbs to go off, understanding to be given. I pray grace is seen. I pray love is growing. And I pray as we sing this song now, this this beautiful song of your glory, I pray the story of your salvation is articulated in song. I pray we see words like kingdom, and we see words and phrases like victory story. I pray that we're able just to sing, yes, Lord, you deserve glory, because you are the God who established your kingdom and who set your plan in action to restore us to your kingdom through Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, I implore you, Give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I need you to save me from my sins. I believe you uh, died and rose again. And I believe you are the savior of my soul, that you will give me rest in this crazy, dark, and restless world. Oh, may the gospel be heard and sung and lived, even now, even now, in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.